That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, available on Amazon and everywhere. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez, and um, I'm standing up right now because I'm broadcasting from my basement. And you're probably wondering, well, why do you have to stand up for that? Because there are no chairs in my basement for an adult human being. Everything in the basement, it's like the kids' play area. So they're all tiny chairs. So right now, I am uh, parked right next to the washer and dryer. And uh, yeah, I've just put this all together. I'm feeling... I'm feeling good standing. I'm feeling healthy. Feel like I can do like I don't know at least 45 minutes. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens in my lower back. But I am very excited to be joined this evening by a comedian. I've known him for a few years, and uh, I've really enjoyed his stuff. And I want to introduce him to you. And without further ado, here's Derek Humphrey. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good, good. Uh, Derek, thanks for joining me, man. And um, like I, I, I said in my amazing intro, I, I'm in the basement. Do, do you have a basement? I, I, I do not have a basement. Um, I, I, uh, I, I have a spare office. This looks like a macabre room for sure. It's, it's red and, it look, and, and my lighting is bad. So, yeah, it looks like I'm in a basement for sure, more so than you even. <laughs> well, well, you know, most of the people who are going to be uh, consuming this episode, they're going to be, you know, consuming it just like the audio. So we can make our rooms any way we want. So we gotcha. can make up, we can make them as macabre as as we want to make them. Okay, Did good, that, good. So yeah, the the red on the wall that you have there, it's it's like a merlot. I'm thinking it is. It was supposed to be um, a color called berry, but it's a better accent color than it is a main color. So now I have to paint over it. Wait, did you guys do it? Did, did you make that choice? I made this choice. I, I wanted something funky for the office, and it didn't pan out the way that I wanted to. Did, so now I have to own it and, and, and fix it. Wait, so when you said that you're looking for an accent, is it just the one wall? Is it no, wall? I, no, this paint is a better accent color paint than it is a main color paint. So it's like... Got it. Yeah, this should be for like trim or for like if you're going to make like a border or something along those lines. It's not like the main color should be like, you know, green or gray have, or something like that. Uh, I, I know you as a comedian, but have you been an interior decorator this whole time? Never once. That's why this looks so bad. <laughs> I don't know how many interior decorators would tell you to hang your Dyson next to your <laughs> resistance bands. And judging by this double chin, that I have in this video, it does not look like I use those resistance bands, but I do. <laughs> you begin reps in on the uh, on the uh, the Dyson. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, I, I think I think I think a lot of people like they have the dream of having like a home office, and I have a home office. Uh, the the issue is it's on the first level of the house, and mm-hmm. right above me are where my kids sleep. So Tuesday nights when I've you know, I've started live streaming. Uh, my wife has told me uh, you're really loud and like you're waking them up. So yeah. now I'm all the way in the basement. Uh, base. I feel like this is like where you know, like a suburban housewife would go to cry. Like that's mm-hmm. where I'm coming right now. Or, or it's where like a suburban dad would go to like uh... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say lift weights, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, my wife tells me that uh, this room is uh, her version of, uh, or excuse me, uh, my version of like the garage. Yeah. Like I come in here and I try to like write jokes or do research or update my podcast or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And uh, I just spend hours toiling away at comedy related things. Like I'm in a mind shaft or something. (laughs) Yeah, is it easy for you to like? Uh, are you able to, you know, sort of tuck yourself away and, and get to work? Are you no. able to do that? No, no, I have ADD. It's very difficult for me to get anything done. <laughs> are you that type of person? You seem you you accomplish a lot. Are you I, you are like all over the place, always putting out like different projects and books and like speaking events and comedy stuff. And I'm like, I wish I had that wherewithal. 
I was always raised on like just looking for a paycheck and like going to do job to job or like check to check or whatever. And you're like a gumption, like I'm going to create, you know, or address a market, you know, sort of initiative. I I know I'm envious of it. Oh, no, I I appreciate that, man. Well, you know, it's it's like a long time coming, you know, it's something where I when I when I wrote the book, uh, it, it. it was me looking back on like 20 years of comedy, you know, in, right. in, in all these different, uh, you know, iterations or all these different genres. So like doing improv and moving from improv to sketch and then to stand up. Yeah. And then, you know, so, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things uh, where, you know, you, you turn around and you're like, Oh, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been doing it for 20 years. It's like all those reps are there, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, you know, like I, it's very different than I guess, you know, if I was just starting out and being like, okay, I want to write a sketch. What, what do I do, you know, to, to, to do a sketch, you know? Right. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. It will also though, too, I think it kind of like addresses, as you mentioned it though, too, like also uh, to some extent, like, I don't know, cultural uh, shifts and things like that. And like, what um, I think like the typical, I don't know. It's hard for me nowadays to kind of pinpoint what people find funny. I don't think there's as much universal or like ubiquitous humor as there used to be either. And I feel like we find like a lot of different lanes in it now. So uh, I've come back to wanting to involve myself in writing more um, like traditional narrative or even serious like sort of books and things like that uh, because like stand up comedy can just burn you out. Yeah. I used to be thin and good looking and now look at me I'm like Jesus. <laughs> but what is what is it like the burnout um with stand up that, that you find? I mean I uh I find that you know now it's it's a lot tougher for me to do I guess you know what we would call the grind that you know I would mm-hmm. used to do. Uh just because you know you know working all day and then the prospect of like uh, you know, going to like mics, you know, and, and like waiting around for, you know, such a long time just to go up and do a few minutes and, and sure. all that. Like, you know, that's just, it, it, it's like, okay, I'm glad I got, I'm glad I did that so much 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that level of, you know, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell thing of the 10,000 hours, if you got in 5,000 of them in the first like couple of years, you know, if you spread out the other 5,000 over the course of like the subsequent five years after that, you're fine. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is. I, I never really looked at it as a metric like that because there's some really funny people who didn't put 10,000 hours into being funny. I mean, unless you count all the times like detention or whatever, you know, but like, but, um, but yeah, but, but no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just changed. I'm kind of in the same place. I don't have a, uh, you know, it should be in my life. Um, but it is also like um, I'm very concerned about the future and having like money for the future. So yeah. that factors in somewhat to how I spend my time nowadays. And like it used to be fun to go hang out in Brooklyn till two, three in the morning. And now it's like I'd really rather be back in Queens by midnight <laughs> if I could, um, having been paid to do my art form. I don't like to look at it exclusively the metric of like getting paid. You know what I mean? But like, you know, things that are substantive that like make me happy, you know, or like, and that's generally speaking, that's just doing comedy for an audience. And so, you know, for as much comedy as there is right now, um, lives are so much more of it on your phone and people stay home. So like having a good show in front of an audience is like just paramount. Yeah. Which sounds weird to say in comedy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I've, I've noticed it too. And, you know, you know, you brought up sort of um, it's kind of hard to to hard to tell now, like what people think are, is funny, like they're like that as far as like a universal, because if people were to go to like your your Instagram page, like you've been killing it with like roast battle stuff. You know? oh, and you. no, no. And, and, and it's something where I, I've uh, I've reached out to you, um, you know, before to, to let you know, like I'm, I'm I'm very happy when I see you perform. Like I, oh, I really you. love, I really, no, I love, I love seeing you on stage with a mic and, and doing your thing, but, but it's interesting because it's like, um, it's like, 
you know, what does so well live might not necessarily translate that well into like what people want to see on Instagram or, or TikTok. Oh, where, yeah. You know, where it's like you might have like this freaking just killer bit about, you know, anything. But the, but uh, in the end, like maybe the, the, what they do, what they really want is to have you like, you know, going after Matt Broussard. You know, <laughs> oh, for sure. That. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain, you know, there's still a certain appeal in comedy that's like mean or mean spirited or told in the vein of like, you know, wanting to to just, I don't know. Jokes exist. Like, you know, Matthew Broussard is a guy that like I really like a yeah. lot and respect a lot. And, I, and he works harder than I do. And he's, and he's still not satisfied. So like, I really appreciate and respect that guy a lot. Him doing that was like a big, bigger thing for me than it was for him. That's for sure. And uh, uh, so I hope that people can appreciate that if I'm joking about his dad having Parkinson's, it's because these are just jokes. You know what I mean? They exist outside the boundaries of like morality in a sense. It, it is what you kind of use to like make sense of the world is humor. It's what you do to cope. Yeah. So that's all I'm doing. And I think that in and of itself is pretty universal. It's just hard to find things that, like, you know, um, uh, there are a lot of comics. There are very few comics who have just, like, this huge, broad appeal. Like, in the terms of, like, if you go to a Jim Gaffigan concert, he'll sell out a stadium. It's generally kind of, like, along the lines of the same type of person. Midwestern, white couple. Or maybe even a white, you know, like a family. And you probably have some other, not categorizing everybody as one thing. We probably have some other demographics that exist within there. But then. That they've also, been adopted. They've been adopted by the white parents. So, right. And they, yeah. and they, they brought them to the Jim Gaffigan uh, concert. Right, right. But you'll also see like, um, um, who is it? Uh, Joe Coy do the same stadium. And his stadium is full of a demographic that looks more like him. And so there's just an opportunity for everybody to be able to have their audience. It's rare to see somebody who is like, no matter what, like, you know, background you have, you find this person funny, like, uh, you know, which is fine, but you can find those topics and everything in, you know, ubiquitous experiences. I think we all want to like be loved and we all have parents and we all have like an upbringing and stuff like relatable stories are good. Um, but it's just like how generic you want to be, how specific can I make my personal experience uh, to hopefully make it funny, yeah. which, you know, I haven't done one bit this podcast. Is this a comedy podcast? I was asking myself that uh, earlier today because oh. I was um, – I uh, have the the podcast through. I think uh, what's it, Libsyn? Like that's where yeah. I, I put the audio and it, it and it distributes it. And I was going over it, and I and it's in the comedy category. And I'm like, well, I'm a comedian, and I sometimes have other comedians on. Sure. But but then I'm like, <laughs> it's not like we're doing um you know like like characters and bits and right, stuff like not that. Riffing bits, no, for sure, for yeah. sure. I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm down to to riff and, and all that. But I I think. I don't know. I mean, it seems like everything's sort of kind of falling into that that theme of, you know, it's like, you know, what is universally recognized as, you know, comedy or, or even, you know, entertainment, you know. Right, right, right. Some people really dig um, Russian dash cam videos, and that's their entertainment. You know what I mean? It's hard to account. You know, people watch people popping pimples nowadays. There's this thing, there's this recording that I heard. Uh, I'm a big fan of Henry Rollins. And, um, uh, but like from like years ago, like when I was a kid, I would go like watch his shows and stuff like that. Right. And, um, he, after, uh, Columbine happened, he recorded this album. And one thing he said, this is in like 1997. He said, someday we're going to have a generation of who just lives on watching people like stamp bottles and go through a factory existence. And we're going to watch those people's lives because our lives are going to be so much more like what happened today, like with the Columbine shooting than it is anything else that we're like used to. And he was kind of right. I mean, now like, you know, my wife watches a, a bevy of like reality shows and stuff like that. Or like, you know, or there's a whole subset of like people who watch people be fat 
um, on TV nowadays and watch their existence because that's their form of like life, you know, entertainment because everything in their day to day world is so freaking crazy. You know what I mean? The stuff that we had to deal with, like, you know, traditionally, maybe, you know, it's just how I feel personally, but like, I mean, you know, day to day life is crazy. So we want some sense of normalcy. So we're watching so many stamp bottles for a living on TV instead of watching MacGyver. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing's passe now because now like we just read about bombings all the time <laughs> instead of having to watch MacGyver for him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder though how that, how that relates to like something like what was like my, my 600 pound, 600 pound life. Is that what the, like those shows Yeah, are something called? like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just where we like, we just like take like such a, um, an interest in, in, in uh, like, reality, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it just, we don't, we forget, like, narrative or crafted story or anything like that, you know? And, and you know, so, yeah, for whatever reason, like, I, I feel like that's what, like, kind of grew to prominence. Like, as people, like, kind of, like, it seems, in my opinion, to some degree, like, society can be, it's, like, unnerving over the last 25 years. And so I think people just started to be more invested in that sort of thing because it is a sense of normalcy uh, for them because there are real life things versus the things that really exist in the world today that as humans, we've never really been encountered before. You know, I don't think we were meant to stare at a blue screen for, I look at my 20 hours a day. <laughs> I'm always refreshing for lights. So like, do you get the updates? Do you get like the weekly updates? Like your screen time is down or up? Um, yeah, even when I don't want to get them, <laughs> I get them. I don't even. I forget how to turn it off. But yeah, I would if I yeah. could. <laughs> yeah, well, even even like those calculations, it's like, oh, your your screen time is down fifteen percent, and you're like, from what? It's like, oh, from instead of six hours a day, it's down fifteen percent to you know right, five yeah, hours and five something. Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's some change. And you're like, that's still it's, it's better than it was before, but that's still not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it um, it seems like a lot of a lot of entertainment, like you, you know, you describe um, that I get caught up in. It it is it involves watching other people doing stuff right so you know obviously the easy one is you know porn where you're watching other people uh have sex you're you're a spectator but yet i think it's it's also hitting certain parts of your brain where you feel like you're actually kind of involved you know in in, in one way or, or sure. another. um so and, so so you have like you know you have like that um i think on more of a positive side because i think you know obviously porn can have um you know some negative effects on uh, uh, on you uh, if you're if you're watching it right. Um, <laughs> like I, I love watching like the pimple popper videos and the uh, earwax stuff, and I don't know what I don't know what that is, you know, because right, because well, you understand the sensation of both, and uh -huh. you're like, what if that were me experiencing that right now? Because like, for example, I watched the chiropractor one. And so, when so like the, the neck snaps and those are the ones I don't like, but more when like you you're laying on the table and you take a deep breath and somebody has their hand just like in, the, like in the middle vertebrae and you breathe down the, and they, they crack your back and you can uh -huh. hear it like popcorn kind of crack in a place. I wish somebody would do that for me, but I'm too scared to go to a chiropractor. Well, well, well there's, they're charlatans so exactly but they but, but when you see them do it good you're like well i just lo i love that idea of um i'm gonna you know readjust your spine and yeah. and you're good like i just readjusted your spine and now right. you're all you know now you're you're uh, good forever right 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 yeah um <laughs> yeah it, because it, 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 I've seen some videos and they're like miracle videos almost of like a guy who like couldn't walk before he came into getting his chiropractor, his back adjusted. And then he went from like this, you know, crooked back, like five foot nine person to being like a six foot tall, like proud walking person again. And you're oh. like, 
somebody's got to have some kind of an idea of how this works. Derek, you know I mean? Derek, man, you just like I'm five foot ten. I've wanted to be six feet tall <laughs> for so long. Go see a chiropractor. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna eat my words. I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna go see one of these freaking charlatans and uh, these these doctors of chiropractic. Well, I started doing foam rolling. My wife got me into that in yoga a few years ago, and um, that's I, good uh, for you. It is. It is. I started when I started doing it, especially in the back. I felt taller. I felt like I was walking straighter. Uh -huh. But the uh, the thing that I mean, the thing that fucked me up the most. I didn't mean to swear. Sorry. Oh no, you I can swear. swear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. This, is a, this is a free free. It's, it's free my show, podcast. man. <laughs> Um, the thing that screwed me up health-wise more than anything was COVID and just being like locked up for that long um, indoors and stuff like that. Like that really like deteriorated my health more than anything. And so, um, you know, I got to like, yeah, I'm, I'm all sorts of concerned about my back. And that's why I watch those chiropractor videos. I get lost down in like that, that whole rabbit hole. Cause you're right. We want to see like, we want to be like a bystander to reality in a sense, mm -hmm. you know? Like yeah, and we experience it by proxy. Yeah, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and and also I think for a lot of the things too, it's sort of a you know, there's a you know what sensationalizing stuff. I mean, look at you know all of the uh, docu series about serial killers. You know, there's something really you know attractive about you know what's probably like the ultimate transgression, which is you know not killing not just one person but killing multiple you know multiple people right absolutely um, yeah and i often like uh i think often like the most like interesting stories about people are people that like you're really happy are not in your life like the most like some of the most interesting fucking people are also the most fucked up people and you're like thank god they're not in my life like um like i love i love richard pryor as a as a comedian, as an actor, he's you know, oh, just yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. But you don't, I would, want, to, you don't want, yeah. want to chill with him. No, I, no, not, I don't want him dating my sister. You know, people right. like, why, yeah. why, 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 because he's black. It's like, no, because he beats the shit out of his wife, out of his wives and girlfriends. And he's, you know, he used to smoke crack and shoot up his fucking, uh, you know, shoot up his car and stuff. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. He had a lot of, um, um, Proximities for danger, and you don't want somebody like that introduced into your your life or your family's life for sure. I mean, there are some buddies of mine who are like really great comics. I love seeing them, but man, I don't want to hang out with them, like into it, you know, because their lives are a mess. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I get that entirely, you know. Yeah, I was I was wondering like if you know if there was like a deal to be made, you know as far as like being funny, like if there was a way that I could be like at like 10% funnier, but your, but my life ha would have to be like 10% more fucked up. I don't know if I would take that, you know, like I got, I'm, I'm very much like kind of like, like you want to be home in Queens sleeping like by, by midnight. I want to be back in my house by like 10 30, 11. Sure. So, so like even that, you know, little differential, like I'm not sure I'm willing to, to give it if I'm going to be, you know, just a little bit, um, you know, funnier. You know? Um, I, I don't know that there's an exchange like that necessarily because, you know, some of the people I know who are like the funniest people are, are some of the hardest working and they definitely just like, um, they're actually pretty boring. Um, they're actually kind of like, boring off stage and whatnot, but they're like really successful and that's what enables them to be successful. And so, you know, it takes all kinds, I, you know, funny isn't like a quotient in my opinion. It's, it's, it's just a thing that happens and something you do and you, you know, as comedians, you just kind of see an opportunity to uh, say or, or, or contribute something funny to a situation. And then you, you do your best to land your joke. So as not to, offend anybody, you know, or, 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 or alienate too many people. <laughs> well, I know some of the funniest people, uh, aren't comics, like people who just do amazing, like, you know, in a room, in a conversation, like oh, around yeah. the table. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of the guys that I know who are super funny like that, uh, like they're deathly afraid to even get up on stage and try to, and try to do something. It's like a completely different, 
completely different animal. Yeah, the funniest guy I know is a real estate uh, agent in like in like Daniel Daniel Island, South Carolina. Like, um, <laughs> you know, some of my friends are like my little brother is probably funnier than I am. Honestly, I have one of those. Yeah, I got a little yeah, brother okay. who's who's funnier than I am. But. Yeah, and at least especially nowadays that I'm an old curmudgeon and stuff. I don't think I've been funny one time on this podcast. <laughs> but but um, but uh, you know, some of the funniest people in the world they, they don't make it, or because stand up comedy as an art form and as a business is its own thing, and you have to learn to navigate both of those. Just because you're funny doesn't mean you're going to be necessarily good at like the art form of stand-up comedy. And just because you're putting stand-up comedy out there doesn't mean it's good. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm just hoping to continue to put out uh, uh, good comedy uh, as best I can. <laughs> well, you you have um, – is it a play? Is it a movie that's coming? I, good question. Cause, yeah, um, definitely plug that. Because uh, it is called Race the Movie the Play. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, uh, these two writers, Brett Raybould and Christian uh, Durant, they uh, uh, wrote the script for a movie. Uh, COVID took away the funding for the movie. So they decided to do it as a play to raise money on their own or interest on their own to showcase the script for a potential buy in. Um, and so uh, Brett asked me to play a role of a character in it, and they brought me into it. And then I got to play, ended up getting to play a few different characters, and then they all allowed me to do a little bit of a, you know, they, they had a real collaborative effort among the among the casting crew and everything like that. So we all worked on it to make it like a better piece, and it's super funny. So we're showcasing at Sun, uh, Soho Playhouse uh, for the month of May. Uh, we got 14, oh, cool. yeah, 14 dates in the month of May. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, yeah, I'm Derek. Um, I've got a link tree in there. I've got tickets uh, available uh, there. Um, there's a promo code, uh, Racism Solved, all one word. The, the movie, I, I, if I'm going to plug the movie at all, it, it's, 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 it, it, if we could call it Not Another Slave Movie, that's what we would have called it. Uh, but, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily get people in the door, at least for the play so far. But um, it, it, It'll get people outside the door uh, wanting to <laughs> shut the play down. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That would actually be the best press available. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you, can you just imagine someone who's like, Big movie buff. My favorite movies are slave movies. Like, I just right, I right, can't right. get yeah. I've watched every slave movie. I know yeah. all the lines and all the directors. Color purple, yeah. glory. I mean, these are all on the side. Yeah, I'm a I, haven't, I haven't seen Twelve Years a Slave though. That's the only one. That's the only slave movie that I have. Oh, I own four copies. Uh, <laughs> like digital Blu-ray, Laserdisc, or CD-ROM. I've got them all. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So it is a send-up of like um, some of those, like a. Like a Mel Brooks style movie, you know, like Spaceballs was for to Star Wars and all those things. Um, this is like a, a Wayans Brothers version of Green Book, and so it's it's super funny. It starts uh, Dean Edwards, uh, formerly of Saturday Night Live, Brett Raybould, and then a bevy of like really up and coming uh, young comics, and then old fucks like me. So, is it? Um, are you guys doing it? Is it a? Um like a, a script reading or is it like, no, it's a full on production. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We've done, we've done some script readings before the script readings are fun. Um, but to really get a sense of what it is that we're going for, you got to see like the full on production. There's a lot of physical comedy to it. There's a lot of timing to it. Uh, there's a, uh, a musical production for it, you know, so we have live, we have a piano player who plays throughout the whole thing live with us. So like, it's, it's a full immersive sort of interactive play experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, it's off Broadway. We won the New York, uh, theater festival of 2022. We won best actor, I believe the best screenplay, uh, for, for the festival. Um, so, and then it was the first ever play 
um, that was a part of the New York Comedy Festival this past year. So, hoping for some big stuff for it for sure. So, yeah, if you guys want to come see it, please come see it. And, and what's it? What's it been like for you, like doing uh, live theater? Yeah. It's been great. I really, it's been the project that I've uh, kind of really been the most proud of, or at least pumped about uh, since I've been in New York. I've had a lot of things kind of fall through, uh, you know, in my career, either pre-COVID or, you know, during COVID and some missed opportunities that would have like really helped like me out personally and professionally, but been chugging along. And then I almost didn't do this because I just wanted to focus really on stand-up. I'm trying to put an album out before the end of the year. And, um, uh, the, you know, it, I, I read through the script. It was so funny. And then I just was like, I just want to be a part of something. And there's such a good collaborative vibe to it that it's just been a lot of fun to do. And I, it's just fun to do it, and I'm proud to do it. And it's the thing that, like, has had the most merit and drawn the most attention to like a lot of us who have been kind of, you know, overlooked in comedy for a few years. Yeah. I haven't, I'm trying to think of the last time I've done like live theater. Like, we used to do like, um, we used to do like sketch comedy at the UCB theater. Yeah. Uh, but, but before that, like in college, I, I was in like, I, I guess like a couple of plays and they would run for like, you know, a weekend, you know, you'd, you'd be, working on them for months and you do them for a weekend and then, then, then that would be done. Right. I did choir when I was in, in school. And then there was another thing for one year and there was like some small productions I did as part of like Cub Scouts when I was like really young. But outside of that, I was like too big for a theater. They were like, no, you gotta play football, man. You're too. But during a, you're too, you're too dumb, too big. Like, you know, I would have rather been involved in theater growing up as a kid instead of giving my knees and my back away to the idea of football. Well, I think there's a movie right there. You know, you have that right. young football player who. Uh, I'm going to re enroll in high school, is what I'm going to do, Drew Barrymore style. Oh, no, did I lose him? Lou, you froze on me. I can see that the timer is still moving. So I think Lou froze. Um, I'm not sure if uh, uh, he's able to rejoin. Oh, there we go. There we go. I can hear him again. I was carrying it for you while you were gone. Thank you. And I was speaking too. So in a way, we were we were doing like a you know. I hope we were harmonizing. You know, yeah. just, to, <laughs> just to get the whole choir thing. I, I was saying that there's there's a movie right there of you know the. Of the football kid who doesn't want to get concussions anymore, he just wants right. to sing, man. Yeah, no, I was saying that, that is a good movie idea. That is a good movie idea. I was saying that I should go re-enroll in high school. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then Drew Barrymore style from Never Been Kissed, and then like uh, do drama club that way. Man, yeah, yeah, it would be a different, way different movie with a dude, with, with a big dude. Oh, <laughs> but you can't protest it. Uh, nah. I just want you to know that right now. You're <laughs> stifling my identity. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you were talking. Um, so during COVID, uh, for when you were, you said you were kind of like locked away, like you know, which which sucked. And then with this with this movie, it ended up losing its funding while. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a part of it at that point. Um, it's just when it became a play and they needed to start casting the play, um, they just like reached out to me directly, which was very sweet because I've ran into people who like actually had to go through casting <laughs> recently. So I was like very honored by that. And then they've been super collaborative. Yeah, that happened independently. For me personally, the COVID just like I, I, I uh, was, you know, really bummed out when we closed New York down like that second time. And it just took the wind out of my sails, like in the, in the dire situation, the, 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 the stress that everybody was putting on, like, you know, what was going on and like there, everybody's like bleak, you know, like, Oh, we're not going to live much longer. Life's always going to be like this from now on. Right. The new normal, right? Yeah. The yeah. new normal sort of thing. Yeah. And I just, sat around my apartment because they're even like you can't go outside after a while it's just like i gotta get outside this is ridiculous like and and can can we just i mean 
what would it like out of all the insane things we were told like the idea of just staying indoors was mm-hmm. one of the most insane things like, right instead of doing the vitamin d thing and like getting you know, air yeah, getting, getting air getting sunlight which like you know pretty much helps even if you were like you know distance from somebody else oh, that yeah. class is like hey i stayed six feet away from you but like i'm outside and I'm, you know, even though I think some people have said the six feet thing is like stupid, or that wasn't even applicable. I think the thing is that it, it was just more of like, I mean, definitely within my lifetime, I, I doubt that I'll ever like really allow myself to go through something like that sort of thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it, you know, it just turned out like, while I appreciate everybody's caution, it was like after a certain while, like, all right, we got to get back to living again. Yeah. This is actually causing us more damage by, you know, staying in here than it is by just living, you know? So. Well, all, yeah. And I think it also revealed um, the types of people who like thrive in that environment. Now I don't mean like, like uh, thrive in that, like, you know, the type of people who are, are going to be like, you know, fuck this. I'm going out. I'm not listening to you. I'm talking about the people who really like relished the idea of, everybody being locked away, everybody being, you know, like basically shut, you know, shut down. There are right. a lot of people who really like that. And I, uh, during, uh, during COVID, that's when my, my wife gave birth to our, our first son. Uh, well, both of them, I guess, technically are COVID babies, but this was, uh, March 26th, 2021. And we had oh, like, wow. okay. you know, so it was, it was right at the, at the height of it. Right. And, you know, we looked at it as, you know, we were going to be sort of, you know, uh, isolated anyway with the baby, you know, for, you know, for a little while, uh, it, it, looking back, it is insane just how isolated we were in that like parent, you know, our parents didn't come visit us at the, at our apartments. Uh, it took us a while to, you know, venture outside to, you know, to meet with them. And Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, uh, it it was crazy, but, uh, I forget how, Oh, sorry. Good. I was like, there's some people I just hadn't seen for like, like I just saw my my cousin and his family for the first time since pre-COVID, since the wow. Christmas before COVID. And when last I saw them, their son was six and now he's 10. You know, and you're just like, that's just insane for, for me to go that long without seeing like, you know, family or like close family and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for for us when we when we eventually like ventured out we would uh we were in brooklyn heights so we would walk around our our neighborhood and it just it felt so good just to be out in any like semblance of normalcy or the way that things were before we we absolutely loved it so there was one time when uh we were walking around our neighborhood and on atlantic avenue there's a pizza restaurant a pizza place called uh table 87 okay and we were walking by and they had two tables set up outside, like right next, like uh, right next to the storefront. Mm-hmm. And we were like, Whoa, this is wait, what, what's going on here? Like they have two tables set up and this amazing thing happened where I got to go inside and order pizza. And then I took the pizza and we sat down me my wife and our baby in the stroller and we got to eat pizza outside at a restaurant for the first time in however many months uh, it, yeah it was yeah. It, it was dude I, I we were we were so so elated we were so happy then uh you know some days pass and we're doing the same loop that we that we normally do and yeah. we're both like we got to go get some more we, we got to go do this again right right and then we go back to the place and the tables are gone the tables and chairs aren't there. Mm-hmm. And I went inside and I and I asked the woman, hey, you know, what happened? And the owner said that, yes, somebody called 311 on them. Oh, and, God. And if they kept those tables out there, they were running the risk of getting fined like $5,000. That's so insane. Think about the type of person you have to be. To see tables outside a fucking pizzeria when when restaurants are struggling, restaurants are closing down, yeah. where there are people fucking dying, not only from you know COVID, but also for all the other shit associated with it, and you call the fucking 
like basically you call the cops you on call the cops. Yeah, way to be a hall monitor for the man. Yeah, just you like know? just yeah. an awful, awful human being. And, and and those are the people that thrive. They they were loving that stuff. And in that neighborhood, no offense, but they probably are the type of white people who are also like Yes, BLM, please burn down some businesses <laughs> that are not in my neighborhood. You know what I mean? And they're going to be the first ones to call the police whenever it suits their little their little imperialistic needs <laughs> to not want to see people. Let people exchange COVID if they want to anymore. You know what I mean? You're just going to stay in your house anyways, you mean old bitty. I don't know why everybody has to like ruin everybody's fun. I really yeah. don't get it. Yeah, but that's what we were. That's what we were dealing with. Um, and, yeah, I'm sorry, man. My pizza, man. I, I the there was just was good. It was yeah. But it's it, those people need to socialize. I mean, like oh, it's 100. Yeah. It's not just pizza. It's not just the pizza. Like the pizza becomes, you know, a uh, a symbol uh, for you know what people you know what you're giving up. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You know. So, but now you're you're in Jersey now, aren't you? I am. I'm in I'm in Jersey. I'm in. Uh, that's how you have a basement. Yeah, exactly. That's how, have, that's how you have a suburban dad basement. I can't wait to get a bunker, man. That, <laughs> if I get a bunker, I'm going to go down there like a bomb shelter. That's where I'm going to really do my podcasting. That's where I'm going to do some really out there edgy podcasting. You can see you with like your grenade launchers behind you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's called the outpost. <laughs> <laughs> well uh do, do oh, no, go ahead sorry no 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 go no go good. Do people do people um uh, kind of come at you from time to time as being like kind of aligned with extremism? Do they miss it meaning do they misinterpret like some of your ideals for like some sort of like uh yeah, some sort of extremist one, I guess you would say. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I definitely have extremist views. Yeah. Like sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you said that. And no, I mean, I always want to say in one sense. I mean, like, okay. Eric's like, we got him. We got him. He, he's, he's admitting it. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, what would you consider to be extremist? Oh, well, that, yeah, I mean, that's the thing of, you know. Well, here, let me contextualize it in this. Sure. I'm, I'm going to be at the uh, um, Skank Fest in Las Vegas. And, cool. Uh, uh, coming up. Um, the first round of tickets are uh, already sold out. If anybody wants to come here in Vegas, come to Skank Fest. But those guys are notorious for being like, you know, the gas digital platform. I'm sure you're probably familiar with Big J, Okerson, Louis mm-hmm. J. Gomez. They're kind of notorious for being synonymous with what you would call like, free speech comedy or edge comedy or something like that, which is not something that I participate in. However, they are the only people who are putting me up to do their comedy festival. It's like, I, I my wife is very concerned um, that, you know, I might be misrepresented mm. as somebody who is like of that ilk, um, which I mean, listen, I believe I believe in the First Amendment and everything like that. So say whatever you want. Doesn't bother me in one bit. I don't want to be misrepresented or or, or mislabeled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I keep a certain kind of wall up. But what, what what's the thing that you consider extremist? I didn't. I never would really consider you extremist. Uh, I mean, I'm probably you know, uh, I mean, probably when it comes to guns, I. Ah. I th- I, I've, I've made a joke before that uh, the Second Amendment is, is an infringement on gun rights, so it needs to be uh, abolished. Oh. <laughs> we need to get rid of it. Um, I'm halfway joking uh, on that. But. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's, only, it's only a joke if you mean it as a joke. <laughs> if you're halfway kidding, I get it. Um, you know, because... Uh, um, I'm fine with the Constitution. I get the joke behind it for sure. My whole thing too is with it. The other guy. Okay, let me ask you this: Where do you stand on the NRA? Then are they a good or bad organization? Um, I I I used to be an uh, a uh, an NRA supporter, um, but I think they're bad for gun rights. Why do you think they're bad for gun rights? Um, I think that. uh, I, I think, like historically speaking, they've gone along with a lot of like gun control 
Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. as opposed yeah, to yeah. you know, um, you know, standing up and, and fighting back. Uh, two, two things I'll say. One thing about, um, you know, about uh, like like the NRA in particular, and um, they are they are like a, a, a boogeyman. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they, they, a lot of uh, I guess you know, gun control proponents, see, they keep repeating this idea that. It's because the NRA and lobbyists are buying politicians. That's why we have so many guns, you know, in this country. Sure. As, a, as opposed to dealing with the reality of, no, Americans love guns, and right. the NRA and the lobbyists are happen to share this, you know, love. And you know, I'm, I'm, I, I just said that I don't like the NRA, but um, you know, it's like. They are the the Second Amendment stands because there are a lot of people who support it, not because they're being paid to, you know, to uphold it. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I love pussy. It, there's no lobbyist giving me money to be attracted to women. You know what I mean? I it's like it it's. I mean, that would be pretty. Ma- that would be pretty. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty um, amazing. And then, yeah, yeah. I, and I just want to say something about like the extreme. You know. The extremist thing, it's also like, you know, how is that word or that term being wielded, right? Is If it's being wielded in a, you know, in a political sense, it's a way to, you know, label somebody as a, you know, to other somebody and say that you don't have to deal with this person. They're crazy. You know, right. it's a way, it's a way to, to push it out. Or it's even a way for, you know, politicians to enact legislation to, you know, surveil people who are quote unquote extremists. I mean, there were, right. there was a time with when, you know, you would have a, uh, you know, a Gadsden flag, you know, the, you know, um, don't tread on the oh, yeah. flag. Like you were an extremist for having that flag. And it's like, holy shit, but that's all, those are all my buddies who I, who I know, like right. they're extremists, you know, so. which I always thought was kind of weird because it is like, as far as flags go, that one's pretty cool. I mean, it's got a good, it's, cool. slogan. it's got a snake. I don't understand how you go around with it. <laughs> A flag with a snake on it, just in terms like it, 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 it could be like a, a it could be a Pantera flag with a yeah. snake on it. Like it's pretty cool. Like a flag it. with a snake on it is like uh, is like a uh, like an eight year old boy with his first knife. Like that's a flag that an eight, like that he would, right, you know, right, to, right, yeah. he would come up with. But I think that was fun. Was funny about like um, you know big proponents of like the two way thing and the gun like you know. <laughs> I, I my daughters are named after guns sort of people, you know, it's like, if you're worried about the government coming and trying to take your guns, isn't that what you got the guns for? You know, I mean, that's what the guns are for. That's what the written purpose was. So like you, you bought into it, you know what I mean? Like just by like purchasing a gun, you're taking that responsibility on yourself. Mm. And so you can't be kind of almost kind of surprised when like, um, to an extent, the government wants to to do that to you because, like, that means that they're able to depower you um, in, in a certain regard. So, I definitely it, it's a super tricky issue for sure, um, and, and I always appreciate because I think um, you know I entertain a lot of uh, sort of I guess you could say libertarian ideas, but I think it's just more of like. I look at it philosophically as being like, I just don't want anybody to be able to have that much control over another person. I mean, you know, we're talking like in terms of things like a big, you know, word everybody uses now is equity. You know, there's a way to create a more quote unquote equitable society, but I don't think it's going to be done through um, a certain level of backended social engineering as to come through like other means. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's a good way to, like, reduce, um, you know, what people would call, you know, extreme gun violence, for sure. So there's a lot of, like, yeah, it, it is a tricky issue, for sure. Um, I'm definitely happy the Second Amendment's in place. I'm definitely not a Second Amendment abolisher because it infringes on gun rights. <laughs> I'd love to see you drop your kids off for school in a tank. You're like, I get to do this. <laughs> I just, I just ride, I, I just ride a cannon to it. Like, just, you know. right, well, right. Um, well, you were, you were in the, in the Navy. Um, I was in the Navy. And um, I don't know how many, uh, you know, uh, do you talk about that often? Your, your service? Um, Is it something that, 
uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like a lot of people who are, who are military, like they don't necessarily bring it up. They, it's like civilians like myself, you know, who, uh, who, who want you to talk about it and want you to, you know, tell. Um, yeah. The trick of it is, is that um, you never bring it up yourself, but you always want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do and you don't. I don't, I mean, I, it's, I, I consider myself like, fortunate in my military career only by virtue of like being around great leadership um being in a good command being but also like more importantly i kind of like this weird like front seat to history for a little while um just by virtue of like what the time i was in is my circumstance i wouldn't consider myself like a brave person i was that that was a bit i was trying for a while was that um I'm a veteran, but I'm not a hero. I joined when Clinton was president. Like <laughs> her- heroes joined after 9/11. Like, <laughs> like Pat Tillman. <laughs> Poor Pat Tillman, man. Jeez, Louise. He should have done choir. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you could actually do the choir in the Navy. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was. There, you could sing. You could be part of the Navy band. I, I actually I dated a girl uh, whose dad was in Vietnam, but he was in the band, and it wasn't like a USO band. It was uh, he played I think clarinet in whatever band they had, you know, entertaining the troops. Yeah, they have one of those because it's weird. It's weird because you can be like the same rank as somebody, you know, like we could both be like first class petty officers, right? And like in my job in the Navy, I was a firefighter chemical, biological, radiological warfare, missile defense. And then you got a guy who's like, I play the snare drum. <laughs> you know, you're like, is this fair? Really? Can I get, right. that's where combat pay and hazard pay comes into play. You know what I mean? And like when you're tax free, when you're forward deployed in like tax free zones, like that's always awesome. It, it would be wild if, um, if like, if like the drummer, in uh you know from like the civil war times like that just continued so it's just whoever the drummer was like if you played drums if you played snare no matter what the war is that's what you're doing like like right. like, yeah. you, like you're on fucking recon but you're playing that drum in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. down to the jungle <laughs> yeah yeah charlie's sneaking up on you and yeah, yeah, yeah. um no. Yeah, no, so I, yeah, I was in, um, I was in from uh, 2000 to 2005. 2000 to 2000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and and I, we're, we want to, we want uh, uh, on an aircraft carrier? No, no, no. I was on a guided missile destroyer called the USS Donald Cook, uh, DDG 75. Wow. Um, I was, uh, yeah, so I actually joined, I signed in on, uh, like, the dotted line, as it were, October, I think it was 17th, 2000, um, something like that, which was the day that the USS Cole um, got bombed. Whew. And the ship that brought it back, um, that saved it from sinking and then dragged it back across uh the uh, the sea back to America was the USS Donald Cook, and that was the ship I ended up being stationed on. So the day that I signed up was the day that that action happened, and I ended up being on the ship that saved the ship that was bombed that day. And um, and so I ended up being involved in damage control, which was which were the primary people who helped save that ship from sinking. And so the people that I like trained under were the people that saved the USS Cole. And so that was pretty like intense to be around those guys. um, Cause they had like a certain like bond, you know, character bond and stuff. Plus it was like a new ship and they had already been out on deployment and stuff like that. The ship had only been around for like a year um, by the time that that it was, it only been around for maybe like six months by the time the Cole got bombed. And then, uh, or maybe a year or something like that. And it only been around another ooh, seven, eight months by the time I got there after that. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was interesting, uh, for sure. Those guys did, were, were cool. Did you have like reservations when, when, when that happened to the U S call? Yeah. You know, um, 
my mom had actually called and left a voicemail for me. Remember back in the day when you had an answering machine on your phone? Oh, yeah. I didn't have like a phone. Like uh, there were no such things as mobile phones um, at this point. Uh, you had car phones. Uh, occasionally somebody had a car phone but or a pager. But, you know, so anyways, my mom left me a, a voicemail basically saying, like, if you want to back out, like, we won't hold it against you, you know, because of what happened. I'm like... Wait, 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 your mom your mom said that to you? My mom's, yeah, my mom said when I was... So the day that the call got bombed, when I signed up, coming home from signing up, my mom had left me a voicemail saying, if you don't want to go through with this, then, you know, we won't hold it against you, like... But what's she going to do? Like, she worked for the Navy? No, 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 no. You could... Just because you you sign a piece of paper before you leave doesn't mean that you're going to the Navy. Oh, really? Yeah, no. you could. It, what it is is it was I joined what was called the delayed entry program, and it was just so that they could get a commitment out of somebody without having to leave like that day. So I got to pick the time that I left, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to leave after the holidays. So I promise you, I'm going to go, and it helped me out because it was like helping me get into certain like. I could leave when I wanted to leave, and then I could also kind of like um, pick certain things that I wanted to do because I agreed to like help them out. Um, and so, but you can back out of it. Like yeah. they can't physically make you go do it or anything like that. Like it's just a piece of paper saying I intend to join the Navy. Even up, up until you get to the point, they're trying to weed you out throughout the whole boot camp process and throughout the whole onboarding process for the Navy. Um, you know, even until you get to like boot camp in and of itself, they're trying to kick you out in the first 48 hours. They don't want you there if you're not psychologically prepared for it. So they want you to tap out and quit. You just got to stick through it. That's all. Wow. And, yeah. and, and did you know um, that that was the kind of stuff you were going to do when you, when you signed up the damage control stuff? Oh, hell no, no. I signed up. I mean, the reason I even joined the Navy is not because I was like overly patriotic. It was that I lived in Ohio and I wanted to get out of Ohio. There's not really there's no boats. There. There's no boats in Ohio. It's there is. So I had to go and join, uh, you know, the Navy so I could go find one. And, um, and, um, but I, I was always a, a bad student, but I always tested well. And my ASAP score was really high. Um, and then I tested to be like, you know, like a high up computer technician working on missiles and stuff like that. And I actually qualified for it. Wow. Um, but then they were like, well, this requires a security clearance. We need to check if you've ever been arrested or anything like that before. And I had a little bit of a, what some might say, a criminal record. <laughs> and, <laughs> some might say there's a lawyer and a judge in, in Ohio. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a criminal record. I guess what's 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 a step below being a criminal? Juvenile delinquent. I only had I'd only been arrested twice when as an adult by that point, but I'd been arrested a couple of times as a kid. Wow. So it was like, but it was for dumb stuff, you know. What kind like, of dumb what kind of dumb stuff? What's... What did I get arrested for? Oh, um, oh. I, had, we, I was 18 and we had a party at a hotel. I was a senior and there were 17 year olds there. So it was contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. At 18 or whatever. It was trespassing or something like that. And then I had another trespassing one because I had left my car. I left my car parked somewhere i forget where and oh yeah and then i forgot to pay the ticket and then i uh, a cop pulled me over and took me to jail for it so and then the recruits came listen son if you want to turn yeah. your life around are you ready to kill yeah but when i was a kid the thing the thing was all the stuff i was supposed to have was supposed to be expunged um and the stuff i did as a kid was like that it was like vandalism and like uh, you know uh some other stuff and um, it was like more truancy and trespassing and stuff. It was all supposed to be expunged um, after I went through community service after the last time I got arrested. But lo and behold, the Navy has access to it still. <laughs> it turns out they can still just really look at anything they want and invade your privacy, even if it's allegedly expunged from your record. 
Wow. It's probably just expunged from my record, like in terms of like in case I was looking for a job, but not in terms of getting like government clearance. Mm-hmm. You know, to have access to tomahawk missiles and stuff like that. <laughs> So like this guy, he's gonna he's gonna take a tomahawk missile. He's gonna have he's gonna bring it to the hotel with all the underage kids drinking, mm-hmm. and he's gonna sneak it out under his coat. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that that's amazing. I remember you uh, you, you t- talking to me about uh, the Navy there, and uh, I don't know if you described it as being a fireman in the Navy. I yeah, at one point. that's primarily what it was, was like fire prevention, you know, but then I also had to deal with chemical, biological, and radiological and, and, warfare. And for everybody, you know, who, who doesn't know, like it's, is it the most dangerous job um, or, you know, definitely up there, right? Uh, statistically, they say that being a shipboard firefighter on a, on a missile carrying battleship in the middle of the ocean is, is statistically dangerous, yeah. <laughs> what are you what are you more likely to die from like what what is it like a diabetes shark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now yeah well, uh, you know we got we got to go swimming in the ocean we went swimming in the red sea and the red sea is crawling with sharks like it's infested with sharks and they're like yeah go ahead and go swimming I'm like okay <laughs> So I did for a little bit, but I was so scared of being bitten by a fucking shark in the middle yeah. of fucking nowhere, especially in the middle of the Red Sea. Good God. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, just imagine like all the service members, you know, you're, you're fighting like Al-Qaeda stuff. How far was Al-Qaeda from the Red Sea? Um, that time? Good question. Well, by this time we were already on our way to, we were in Iraq, so... Uh, we were, we were, this was the time we went there. I was on the first ship to fire missiles into Baghdad for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And so um, this was before that, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, yeah, so the Persian Gulf, a lot of um, sea snakes. Those are dangerous. Those are no good for you. Um, and a lot of sharks. So thankfully, I did not get bit. Sea snakes, uh, sharks, and Arabs. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was really concerned about two of them, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it actually, in all fairness, like I was a, I was, um, it w- wasn't officially on my record or anything like that, but I was a conscientious objector to like being over in Iraq because, like, mm-hmm. I did not see any connection between. 9-11 and other, you know, like 9-11 on Iraq, just didn't see it. Um, I couldn't put the two together in my head. So I was like, I don't think we should be here. And I don't, I mean, I didn't pull the trigger. It wasn't my decision. I was just a firefighter, but I was just like, I was not afraid to voice my opinion that this sucks. Mm. I don't like it. <laughs> and they're like, there's a reason why we didn't give this guy clearance. Right. Exactly. He's asking yeah. way too many questions. I wouldn't have been able to pull the trigger. I've been like, you know what? I gotta set this. I gotta set this killing out, you guys. <laughs> well, well, I look at uh, at the time. I, I was in I was in college at the time, and I remember like talking to my friends and being like, "This doesn't make any sense." Like, right? Like, like how many of the guys were Saudi Arabian? What What are we doing in Iraq? I, I don't. If you're gonna make If you're gonna make that leap. Um, right, right, right. And this seems really motivated by, you know, the fact that this guy was, uh, you know, the son of the other guy that tried to fuck with this guy. Well, I mean, I remember uh, remember George uh, W. Bush talking about, like, you know, he threatened my dad. Guy tried yeah, to kill me. And, and oh, this is so funny. This is bringing me back, like, so many memories. I, I remember that on TV. And then I was riding the subway, and there were two guys uh, – having like kind of an art, like a subway argument, but it seemed like it was, it seemed like around that time people were really getting along, especially in New York. Sure. And and these two guys were having two strangers having an argument over this political thing. I don't know how it started. And then the guy says, he says, but he threatened his father. And then the dude's like, all right, I can see that. I can see that. It's like, it's like, what? see what man? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that you, I mean, 
so you can't send other people to their death over that sort of thing. That's just right. like that's antithetical to like what it is that I thought that we were supposed to be about, you know? And like I don't want to rally behind a dictator like that or somebody like that. Like that's ridiculous, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I a thousand percent agree with. Yeah, so I was like uh one of those people. And um, you know, there it didn't it wouldn't have done me a lot of good to like file paperwork about it because I you know I could have been a real troublemaker and stuff like that, but like I'd already been such a bad kid that it was like if I fuck up the military, you know, like I didn't do good in high school, I didn't do great in college, I you know, and then now if I fuck up the military, like what does this say about me as a person? So I just kept my mouth shut, got my college money, moved on, you know. What where'd, uh, where'd you end up going to, to college? Um, so I, I went through a couple of different ones because um, I was also having to work. So I did some laws in the Navy, Tidewater uh, Community, a bunch of different community colleges, straight together a couple of like, um, certificates and like minor degrees and stuff like that so like for a while I was a certified like um you know engineer for like boat mechanics and things like that and emt you know and uh all that sort of stuff all these sort of things that like marine engineering and stuff like that that like in fire science that you put together for a job at fema you know, and then I thankfully I ended up not taking a job in FEMA because I would have went from 9-11 to Iraq to Katrina. Uh, to right. Katrina. Yeah. And it's just like, man, nope, I'll just go to Charleston, South Carolina instead, <laughs> hanging on the beach. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh uh Derek, uh I want to halt uh, this part of the conversation and then I want to grab you for a, a locals exclusive. Um, I want to thank you uh, so much for your time and uh, you guys, please check out uh, Derek. It's uh, at hump Derek on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And um, there you'll find uh, clips of his work and also uh, the play race, the movie, the play that is going to have its run in May uh, in New York. Oh, yeah. so that's, Come that's see awesome. it. <clears throat> Thanks for having me, man.